Welcome to Data Myths Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Melinda Gagnon. So, a little about us. I'm interested in how tech helps us improve our lives. I have 20 years experience in digital communications. I'm an ex-Googler and now help launch new companies and products. And I've spent 20 plus years evangelizing tech at some of the world's largest companies. Whether you're a datafile or a dataphobe, we have something for you on this podcast. So get ready. Let's go. Good morning, Melinda. Good morning. Happy Friday. So we're recording another podcast. I'm pretty excited about this. Absolutely. Just where we like to be. So how's your week been so far? It's been great. It's been pretty, pretty intense. We're, we're going into Memorial Day. So that's kind of cool. Have kind of, kind of a day off on Monday. Yeah, you're at a startup though. We have we have an exciting exciting interview happening on Monday, which we won't say more about. But it's it's exciting and there'll be more on that. So so that's that's something to look forward to on Memorial Day weekend for sure. I think that topic's going to rhyme with schmuck frain. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah, it yeah. kind of rhymes with that. Sure. So <laughs> We'll, we'll leave it up to your imaginations all. Uh, so let's, let's dig in a little bit. I know one of, the, one of the things over the last bunch of podcasts that we've talked a ton about that we're not going to talk about this time is Amazon. And mm, Can't promise. Maybe they'll just come in just for a second, mm, but that's all. No. I, I will promise just for a second. I'd like to not have them it's in every part of my to life. Talk about them; they're everywhere. But okay, I get your point. Okay, so today let's talk about how you capture people's attention because it seems busier than ever. It seems like we're spread in many, many different directions. And I saw a study the other day that the average American spends about eleven hours a day interacting with different media sources, and that is. A tremendous amount of time. That's almost half of the day. Uh, and that's up from about nine and a half hours uh, just four years ago. So where is all of our time going? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible when you think about that and you know what that means for how we're getting our information, how we're spending our time. And really the, the big challenge is, you know, we, we talked about in our data versus discovery podcast, about the fact that Facebook was a big source of people getting their news, for example. So it's it's also not a conversation of just how much time, but but also where are people going for certain types of information that's pretty interesting. And if you think about this from a perspective of anyone, whether it be, you know, an organization, a company, a political party, that's a, that's a whole thing in and of itself, trying to get people's attention, this is really challenging. We have this great platform, I'll, I'll call, well, just the fact that people are online, let's just call that not, not necessarily one, one platform, of course, but the attention is there. However, that attention is very fragmented. Users online can switch screens up to 21 times an hour. So That's incredible. Yeah, That's a lot. Yeah. And if you think about your own habits, that stat really isn't, isn't surprising, Really, when we think about how often we're switching between things on our phone, on our computers, and it, it not only is this activity really fragmented, but within that, we're also bombarded 
with messages. So we're, we're looking at content that we're choosing to look at. And then we have all these advertising messages and there are more than 10,000 brand messages a day that are coming at you. That's intense. Yeah. yeah, this all, when you think about all of this, yes, it becomes a very intense scene and in the, the clutter and the, the noise that's out there is real. And so this is very different than print or traditional media in that if you, let's say, watched a, your favorite program, there might be four or five different ad spots. If you watch the news, there's a couple ad spots and that's sort of the, uh, the place traditionally where politics seem to uh, creep into our lives. Well, now where we are moving to a digital age, it seems like every single time you open a device, there is someone talking politics. There is some platform talking politics. There is some company talking about politics. And on top of all of that, you're getting programmed every five to sixth Instagram message uh, seems to be an ad at this point. Uh, Facebook, same thing. All of the other platforms, same thing. It's more advertising and programming than uh, than we ever saw in the traditional media world. Well, and it's more simply because there's more opportunity. There's more screens. There are more there are more options for our ad insertion. The ad formats that are available now. Are, are absolutely incredible in terms of what you're able to do in terms of different type of video ads, different type of, of rich media ads. I mean, any way that you can insert uh, alongside content um, on search and results pages. So any real estate online is up for grabs and anytime there's a digital channel that has a decent number of, of active users, advertisers are going to want to figure out, well, how do I get there? Can you talk so. through a couple of those different channels that you spoke about? Uh, because I actually don't know uh, in depth all of those ones that you just spoke about. Can you kind of take us through each one of those and sort of give us a little bit of a, an example of each? So if you want to think about the, the top two digital platforms, so Google and Facebook, uh, Google you can have a variety of, of ads on their search engine results page, whether it's the, the good old text ad that we're all accustomed to. They have shopping ads. The creatives and shopping ads can even be dynamic now. And then when it comes to display ads. And what's that, what's that mean when you say it can be dynamic? Meaning that Google actually chooses the imagery and the layout for your ad. I mean, you, you upload a, a series of images you in include your product feed information and Google serves up the ad in a variety of different formats and can optimize which ad is shown more depending on the performance. And, and this type of dynamic creative is, is also very, very common in the space today. Uh, so, you know, we have very, a lot of different formats and, and opportunities in display. So that's when an ad is actually shown alongside content. Um, you'll see a lot of formats today also that are quote unquote native. So it actually doesn't really look like an ad and it's called native because it just blends with the format of the content that's on the page. It's much less intrusive so and it's this, very effective. So would this be like if I was on CNN.com and I saw a couple news articles and as I scrolled down the page, I got to a point where some of those news articles were actually ads and they kind of mimicked the 
the media. Yeah, exactly. And those are served by services like Taboola or Outbrain, uh, you know, some of, some of these type of, type of ad platforms. So, and you know, and then you come to video advertising, so you can have pre-roll, you can have uh, overlay ads that's on top of the video. You can have interstitial ads. It's during the video. Um, there are, there are lots of different, different opportunities there. So, you know, the great news is we have flexibility. We have flexibility where we place ads, what they look like, and it can really be tailored to who you're trying to reach and not only offering up useful, relevant information, but also in a format that's preferable. And and we're seeing more and more, particularly with younger audiences, no surprise to anyone who follows the space, but video is all that much more popular, particularly video viewership on mobile. So any opportunity to to get there is is really valuable. And and mobile just provides another complexity really and simply in the terms of real estate, it's a smaller screen. Less ads can be shown there. So while that's growing in popularity, you know, there's there's less opportunity to to get in front of the the mobile user. So we have all types of listeners. I know, uh, I know many of our friends in the enterprise space and the marketing space and the tech space are listening to this, and I think this probably resonates with them. But from a consumer standpoint, you know, what does this mean for the consumer? Are they getting? I mean, it just seems like we're getting bombarded with ads, and I can see where maybe many consumers would think, I don't really care about this ad technology. How does it really matter to me? Because I just see so much showing up in my feeds. Uh, sure. So, I mean, I think it's it's a couple things. One is that we become accustomed to free content, and content has to be paid for somehow. And publishers have been paid and social platforms have been paid to date by advertising revenue. So that's a, that's a great question or a great concept. And so that's from a publisher perspective. So that would be, you know, who would you consider a publisher? I'm thinking any news. CNN, okay. Facebook, any of those platforms, the Wall Street Journal. And so, so that, that's one thing. So when users are finally fed up with ads, they may become more open to paying subscription fees. But that pendulum has not yet swung completely in that direction. So that that's one thing. That's how we've become used to transacting when it comes to online information. Ad blocking is, is another thing that we've seen really take off because users are just annoyed with, with ads and there are ways that you can just eliminate that from the content that you're reading. And this has caused the, caused the advertising industry to really take notice, understandably. And it really comes down to have a great user experience. And this is something that that Google is certainly doing well. And I want to talk a little bit more about them um, you know, in a few minutes. But it's if you're not giving the user relevant, useful information and or entertaining them, then yeah, they're not going to want to look at your ad. And whether they block it or not, well, your ad's still not going to be effective. So really advertisers have to up their game and serve better, better ads. And so to that point, you know, I notice absent from the publisher 
question, right? Was so now let's say we build the walled garden, uh, and now people pay for their content or they pay for being on a platform, and maybe that advertising uh, diminishes because someone is creating paid content. What about the users themselves? Because what I'm seeing also is everybody has turned into their own little marketer and they are marketing everything from some fizzy organic drink that they drink at the uh, the gym to clothing to beauty products. And everybody's trying to make a buck, it seems, these days because they think it's uh, easy free advertising. You know, I'm getting sick of that. I'm sure others are as so, well. Yeah, so that's something that's that's pretty different from what we were just talking about. So that's influencer marketing. And that has really started at the advent of social platforms being popular. And anyone with a decent social following can be an influencer. And influencers can range anywhere from, you know, the Kim Kardashian level, meaning her her presence, her brand persona that she has, to what we call micro-influencers. They have a, a smaller following. But this has really taken off, and they're compensated by free product, uh, just with with influencer fees. And there are influencer marketing programs. There are whole technologies that are around finding, sourcing, um, the the whole content management process around around influencer marketing. So this is a a real subset of digital marketing now. I mean, hey, if this consulting you know, firm doesn't, stuff doesn't work out. I think I'm going to put some yoga tights on and uh, maybe start hawking some uh, doTERRA or something. Well, you, you're going to have a lot of companies. So <laughs> to talk about a, a saturated space that that's definitely one of them. And there are also a lot of regulations that have come up around influencer marketing because what was happening is that influencers weren't sharing the fact that they were actually being paid to sponsor these these products. So so that's a requirement that an influencer has to openly note that this is a, you know, a spon- sponsored by X brand or, you know, that there is a a business relationship there. This isn't just something that they're deciding to endorse because they they just love it. They're actually getting something for it. So that's that's important when it comes to consumer transparency, that that ads are somehow noted as ads. And that's standard in the industry, no matter what format you're dealing with. And this comes down to, you know, I know early on we talked about Fire Festival. And that was probably one of the biggest influencer marketing debacles ever because you had a bunch of supermodels and actually, I think only one of them, Emily Ratajkowski, was the only one that used hashtag ad uh, in that post. And now a bunch of those supermodels are getting sued because they promoted an event or a, a product, so to speak, that was kind of a bogus product. Yeah. And you have to do more than just do hashtag ad. Um, so it has to be uh, be noted that it's a it's a sponsored piece. But but. Th- I want to say that, yeah, the regulations weren't adhered to in that instance, but it actually worked brilliantly uh, in terms of what the influencer marketing campaign did with bringing notoriety, exposure, and and the type of exclusivity to that event. I mean, the marketing was, in my you know assessment, brilliant, 
obviously they couldn't execute their way out of a paper bag, but that's, that's not the marketing's fault. They executed the lunches right into a paper bag though. Right. Yeah. And people into tents. That was perfect. Exactly. So, so, I mean, when we look at, at the space overall, I mean, it's, it's complex, it's evolving. I mean, when, when we think about all the different areas that are causing advertisers kind of pain these days, it, it has a lot to do with not only just the, the clutter and fragmentation that we see today with, with consumers' attention, but it really comes down to how a lot of these platforms are being used and how advertising is understood. So we still have issues with just data being being fragmented and, and advertisers really struggling to say, okay, what is my complete view of my consumer? Where are they looking at certain types of content? How is that performing for me? How do I really use that in the best way? And that is really the, the audience or consumer side of the equation for an advertiser to understand you know, who they need to target and how. And then when it comes to the actual ad performance side of things, there's this whole question of, well, you know, how do we understand the value? How do we understand viewability? You know, there've been lots of conversation, particularly with, with Facebook around them, you know, quote unquote, grading their own homework. And, you know, they, they tell you, oh, X number of people have viewed this video, but who's verifying that, (laughs) you know, and when that's, when that is, you know, millions and millions of dollars of an ad revenue, that's concerning when they're policing themselves with how effective these ads are and, and brands are taking notice. So I think what I'm hearing is that digital marketing is just really complex. It's become incredibly complex, you know, and, and what are some of the biggest factors to really pay attention to both on the the producer side as well as the consumer side. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really you know as we talked about knowing knowing who your audience is, and it's a matter of making sure that ads fit into your broader communication strategy. I think there's a there's a a, a thought around well, your ad strategy has to be X Y Z. Well, actually, your ad strategy is just part of your communication strategy. They're going there's going to be information that you want to share with your consumers, your potential consumers, and there are different vehicles in which to get that information in front of them. And by understanding their behavior, which types of of sites that they're on, what the saturation level for that type of information is, where are your competitors, you can start to, to say, oh, for this subject matter, I really need to advertise, or there's no hope of me gaining traction here. But maybe for this type of subject... I can, you know, rely on my organic presence. Maybe I have partnership content that might be more appropriate. So it really rolls up to this, this broader communications plan and just being really intelligent about who your audience is, where, where are they online and what are they consuming? What's important to them? And so this kind of feeds in a little bit to our curation versus discovery. Yes. And so if people are discovering their own content, that may be a little bit different to advertise to than if they are, you know, looking for a curated feed, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're seeing trends in digital advertising that, of course, 
mirror what is happening with consumption habits. So we're seeing increased spend in digital because there is more mobile usage, there's more online shopping, more video viewership. Uh, Really the listenership also for audio and music is up. And a lot of that is due to younger demographics and the fact that Uh, Data plans basically are, you know, there are many unlimited data plans and more connectivity. So there's, there's less hesitation to listen to music and to watch video on a mobile phone. So all of these trends are part of this larger picture of, oh, well, how do I connect with these people and where do I need to invest? So that's, that's really what it, you know, what it comes down to. Well, and when you, or when I think about it, uh, I think about traditional media versus you know, the digital world, right? We're doing this podcast. I probably never would have been asked on a radio show before, uh, you know, and now we can do this from our own studio. And there are 750,000 other people that think a podcast is a good idea as well. And some of that is chasing ad dollars and and making money. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all about getting in front of people. If you get in front of people, the ad dollars will, will follow. It's just the way it is. And we've also seen a shift in the last year with digital advertising spend finally eclipsing traditional advertising spend. So traditional advertising is essentially, you know, TV, radio, print. And what we're looking at for this year is 54% of the market is, is digital. So that, that's huge. And by 2023, estimating that two-thirds of ad spending will be digital. So is traditional media dead? No, no, I don't think it's dead, but it's, it's pretty flat. I mean, t- traditional TV is, is flat. I mean, there's like a 0.2% decline. Don't quote me on that, but some, something like that. So it's, it's really the matter of, of digital just growing, you know, and, and it all makes sense with, with where people are spending their time and what's popular. And when we look at that digital landscape and, you know, what we talked about earlier with people changing screens all the time, if we want to simplify this landscape, it's actually kind of easy to do that because we have a duopoly in place with, you could probably guess. Google and Facebook. Ding, ding. Yeah. So Google and Facebook are still the top players when it comes to digital ad buying. Um, So when we look at the ad revenue combined with both Google and Facebook, that's 60% of the ad market. That's a sizable chunk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is something that you could say, oh, well, as a digital marketer then, that's easy. Uh, You know, I just, I just have to go there. Well, the different opportunities to advertise through Google ads and with Facebook ads are, are pretty extensive, Google particularly. Uh, so that within itself, there's a lot of power and a lot of complexity in how you can customize those efforts. So, uh, so it's still not like a cakewalk, but it's pretty incredible how, you know, these two players are, are dominating to that degree. Do we get to the point where scarcity of resources come into play. And when I say scarcity of resources, if we're spending as humans on average 11 hours a day in different media formats, uh, you know, talking on chats, talking on Snapchat, uh, Facebook, you name it, Instagram, 
all of these other platforms, when do we become tapped out? When do we become exhausted? And so then we're right back to where we were, which is people are paying a lot more for fewer spots. And now we're back to the traditional media model again, which is why traditional media was fairly expensive. But when you got in front of people, it was, you know, it was gold. Yeah. Well, and I think you're bringing up an excellent point about how inventory is shifting, right? Yeah. So, so if we have less users or less time spent online, yeah, we we're, we're going to have less, less inventory. And you're right. The scarcity model does apply in, in that case. Well, and I think when I look at social media, for instance, and why it has rubbed me in the wrong way in the last couple of years, it's just been getting bombarded by everyone is a publisher of things and publisher of ads and everyone is trying to monetize something all of a sudden. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to Facebook in particular, last year they rolled out a feature where you can see, well, how much time did I spend on Facebook? And the time has actually declined year over year with, with Facebook. And there is a quote by, by Zuckerberg who said, well, oh, actually, I think that's, that's a great thing. You know, we want people to be healthy and we want people to be cognizant of the time they're spending. I call total BS on that content. I'm sorry, Zuckerberg, I don't believe it. I think you want people to be on there more and more and more. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I agree with having that visibility into time spent on Facebook. And, it, and quite frankly, it's necessary, also given to the studies that have shown that social media can actually make people feel badly about themselves. So it's kind of like a social responsibility to provide that transparency into to app usage. But yeah, their, uh, their time on, on site is not increasing, which leads us to a little leaders and losers. Nice. So who comment. is... Who's winning in this space right now? Let's talk about <laughs> yeah. the leaders first. Yes. So, so yeah, we have to bring back leaders and losers. It's been a little while and we have heard that, that this is missed. So, so here we go. So we've talked about it a little bit to this point, but our leaders and losers when it comes to our dear duopoly of Google and Facebook, Google is, is the leader. And I will say, disclaimer, raising my hand. Yes, I used to work at Google. I did not work at Facebook. I've, I've worked with both of those companies extensively, but the numbers are there for Google. So with Google, they account for 30, 34% actually of our time online. So that's YouTube, Waze, Google search. And then that doesn't even count all of the sites that are accessed through their content network. So that means all the sites that are in their network where you can place an ad. So tell me more, tell me more about that. So like in their network. Yeah. So, so they have partnerships with a variety of websites where you can buy an an ad placement. And so you can target on a variety of factors. You can target based on the content, the audience, all these, these various things. And they have over 2 million websites in their network and they reach 90% of internet users. Yeah. And so I would say on that, No, yeah, they clearly are winning and we don't even know it, I would say. Uh, But from the Facebook, Instagram and the Facebook 
you know, family, right? I don't think that they're losing. You know, who's really losing? Well, I still think Facebook is losing a little because the average time spent on Facebook is declining. So they've, they've lost a minute from 2017 to 2018. And well, you know, a minute, but you know, that, that matters. It's, it's declining. Instagram is holding them right now because they haven't suffered from a lot of the scandal that Facebook has had. So if we're talking about the Facebook family, well, you know, Papa Facebook, you know, is struggling, but Instagram is, is holding down the fort. So you're going with the Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last principle. On- <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. Isn't that always the way? <laughs> Second place is the first loser. That's, um, that's aggressive, but I've, I've also seen you uh, <laughs> race before, so I get it. You know, leaders and losers is, is healthy. You know, we, we just, we just look at the numbers. So who else so, is losing? I mean, this is okay, a, this well, is a big space. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, so when we think of the top five advertisers, so, I mean, Google and Facebook are really it. I mean, obviously 60% of the market there. Next we have Amazon, Microsoft, Verizon. So we talked a little bit in our podcast, let's see, 16, episode 16 about Amazon and the fact that their ad revenues are growing rapidly, like 50% year over year. They're, they're starting to maybe eat a little bit of Google's lunch, but it's, it's just a, a drop in the ocean. So Amazon is doing some significant things. They're growing really fast, still just a small portion of the whole. So I know I wasn't supposed to talk about Amazon, but in that context, Amazon is a leader. Busted. Right. But when it comes to Microsoft and Verizon, they are losing ground when it comes to ad spend. What about what about Joey that owns the apartment complex off of uh, I-90 in Chicago? Oh, Joey's a winner. He's got a billboard totally. up on the roof. Is, <laughs> is he losing or is he? Depends on who drives by the billboard. Well, I don't know. I mean, is that still valid space? No, the- absolutely. It's still valid space. And we have the rise now of, of interactive billboards. So at the out of home space, you know, OOT for anyone who loves their marketing acronyms, that's also a huge space. So billboards can now respond dynamically to, you know, weather conditions or, you know, whatever else they're, they're making their decisions on, so to speak. So that's also a space that's become much more advanced. Not, of course, every billboard is like that, but this is a a space that's, that's had a lot of innovation in it as well. And so not to pick on yogis, because I know that you are one, um, but what about the, you know, the yoga person uh, in Lululemon top to bottom and whatever else they're sponsoring this week, are they, you know, the Insta, the Insta famous, um, you know, influencer, are they winning or losing? It it sounds like it's just getting so crowded. So it it is getting crowded. It's really difficult now to make it in the, in the influencer space simply because there's so much competition and we've seen that it's been tougher and tougher to really get that stellar, for example, Instagram followership. So what we're going to see is influencers on different emerging platforms. You know, a platform to keep an eye on is TikTok. So it's this platform that has, uh, you know, these, these short video clips, it's gaining in popularity. And these are the types of new platforms that are exciting younger audiences. So, you know, we, we just have to 
keep an eye out for the new cool type of formats. And it's going to be video heavy, mobile heavy, audio, you know, data, data and connectivity. That's, that's helping us. It's not holding us back when it comes to what we can do with media. So this is going to be a new time. And so one of the other trends that I've seen in this space, and I know it's not totally um, marketing and, and ads, but on Instagram, or actually, excuse me, on LinkedIn specifically, it seems like more and more people are putting voiceovers with transcription and text over the video because such a huge percentage of people are actually looking at that in the office space. That seems to be a booming market and everybody seems to be kind of taking someone else's content and sort of, you know, reporting the news, so to speak. Is that? We are a society of regurgitators. Yes. Tell tell me more about that because I. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is really um, a crux of a lot of what we talked about in our curation versus discovery podcast, but, you know, it's rare that someone is a true creator of content, right? Like writing their own thought pieces, creating their original artwork or whatever. You know, we're we're living in a culture of, you know, curation, meaning, you know, I'm going to read a bunch of things and, and serve up my mashup that is of value. We, we reshare with a little bit of a, you know, our own take. We have a, a meme culture and, and sure, I, I would accept an argument that to create a new meme is, is original. Sure. But there's a lot of recycling that goes on there too. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting how content is recycled and repackaged and, and who gets the benefit of that and who doesn't. Well, and so I guess my question to you is, I feel like since we've just really started to move into the digital age uh, with media specifically, there's a lot of opportunity for companies that haven't traditionally been at the cutting edge of digital. And now it's sort of like a race. It's an arms race to digital. And if someone gets there before you, even if they didn't have that content before, they might just be syndicating what someone has been doing traditionally over onto the digital space. And now they look like a winner, but six months or a year or or three years from now, when the people that actually have the asset that they've built up over many, many years, as they start to digitize that, they become the winner. And the other person who'd never really built any of the content and they were just sort of regurgitating it, as you would say, starts to become a loser. Is that sort of how you see it? It, it could be that way, but it really depends on on who you've captured for attention. So sure, you could be the actual creator slash owner of a valuable content, but if if you don't have the exposure, how can you be a leader? So that's where it comes to understanding the digital space and knowing how to reach your audience. It's critical for mindshare, it's critical for survival when it comes to reaching people now. So yes, advertising is part of that, but making sure that it's findable and discoverable for search engines is critical and building out a partnership network because it's really hard to do it alone. You need to be strategic with partners and sharing content among partners. So that's that's a key part of that 
that strategy as well. Can we relate this back to assets versus brokers when we talked about that? Because I'm I'm sort of seeing some parallels now, mm-hmm. right? Which is the folks that have all of that traditional photography, um, content, et cetera, they were slow to get to digital. Now all of a sudden they're they've got a pretty big platform that they can put digitally and tons and tons of content. Especially if you can claw that content back. But but a lot of times if if that horse is out of the barn, it's out of the barn. Right. But like if you're Disney, oh you can claw that back. You're Disney. And it's it's an easily packaged movie. So Yeah. Do we look at influencers in a way as sort of being the brokers, right? Because they've got the network that they've generated and they're building that content on the backs of other people's products. As those platforms start to build out their own network and products, do they start to become king and queen makers and who the influencers become? Does that, is that relevant? So there, there are a couple of things to think about there. So one, if, if I'm a brand and I'm using an influencer network, that's great exposure to all the people that follow those influencers, obviously. Now, there's a difference between using an influencer marketing program, meaning I am working with 50 Facebook and Instagram influencers that have a certain followership versus hiring a celebrity at, to endorse my product. So if I'm, you know, Gillette and hiring hiring um, Roger Federer, you know, like a few few years back, then that's a very different different thing. I mean, can you call him an influencer? Sure. Is that an influencer marketing program? No. He's hired by Gillette to be their celebrity endorser you know, to, to be in their advertisements. So that's really the big difference. So you can say in that, in that instance, did they make Roger Federer King for Gillette? Yes. So they're using his equity, his, his celebrity to sell the product. And sure, he got something from Gillette too, in terms of a big thumbs up from a major brand, also a big fat paycheck, but you know, they've, they've made him a pretty significant, you know, celebrity in terms of, of product endorsement. Yeah. And that makes sense. And what I'm talking about, I guess, is sort of that bottom third. Do they become losers over the next few years as eyeballs become really, really kind of hard to, uh, to get attention of, you know, and I, I feel like the free, the free water is going away because the resource is becoming scarce, meaning I don't think that number has anywhere to go but down the 10 or 11 hours a day, right? And if more and more people are trying to make a buck, whether it be an influencer or an advertiser, I feel like the folks with the assets to sell and the folks that are really able to create the assets versus the people that are brokering a conversation to their network is going to really start to stand apart. And I see that bottom tier, you know, influencer really starting to go away. Well, I think there's a different angle to look at here because if I'm a brand and yes, I own all of my assets, my information and so forth, it's only valuable if I can make a meaningful connection with someone. 
So you actually do need the glue. You're calling them the broker here. You, you do need the glue to help get that information into the right hands in front of the right eyeballs. So if an influencer can prove that they authentically and meaningfully connect with their followers and their followers are very interested in, in, a, in a certain product, that's going to provide value. So, so this is where, where it, it's a little different, the whole brokers versus owners discussion. The delivery vehicle matters because it, it matters not only what you have to say, but how you deliver the message. Both have to be right to make an effective advertising message work. So, you know, it's a matter of, yes, having the right asset, having the right information, making it useful, engaging and all that. But how is it getting delivered? Where is it being seen? Who is, who is in this case of influencers, who is serving it up? That matters. So it's really the what and the who and the how. To me, this seems really complicated for a company to navigate. That's, that's my take on this. It, it is. It is because, I mean, you, you have to understand who you're talking to. You have to understand the best way to deliver that information. And then when it comes to just getting down into the actual communications plan and the you know, ad planning, it's figuring out across all of these different channels and different ad formats and many targeting capabilities when it comes to, you know, you can target by keywords, you can target by audience, um, affinities, interests, retargeting if they visited your site or not. You can do modeling based off of that. There's just a, a significant amount of, of ways that you can can reach a, a person based on on that information. And it has to roll up to what it strategically does to to basically driving business growth. So, you know, you have to be able to understand from top to bottom, how do I grow the business? How do I reach the consumer? That feeds all of your tactics. And you're right, it's, there are a lot of moving pieces. And so to be a data file and a geek for a moment, I look at the buyer or the, the asset owner, meaning the person producing the product, and then the broker, let's call that the influencer, right? Let's just say that data, I think, is going to be the separator here for the savvy company that really is tracking and understanding all that data because they're going to be able to, when they start to figure it out, dictate a lot closer to which influencers are actually making them money and getting their product in front of the right eyeballs. And the influencer really has no data. They have how many followers they have and they might have how much they interact, but that becomes really, really difficult. And I feel like the brand, um, a really savvy brand, is going to have incredible data points from outside of just that one influencer and how that relates. I think the brands are going to be in the driver's seat once they really get a good data strategy. So, I mean, the thing is, influencer marketing, it's, it's something, but it's really not, it's not the big thing here. So I don't want to like lose sight of, of where the real valuable activities are happening. It's really on Google and Facebook. 
um, that provides an environment where as best as we can, we can have cross-channel attribution and actually map, you know, activities that are happening, happening not only in Google and Facebook, but across the whole digital ecosystem around, okay, how is that click path? How are people traveling through media? How does that equate to whatever that conversion may be? You know, um, there are also great things that we can do between online and offline attribution. So, you know, I don't want to get too hung up with like the problems with the influencer space because yeah, it's a, it's a subset, but it's not like that factor that's, that's bringing the house down here. It's, it's really not. So when it comes to brands owning and understanding their data, yes, that is key. And that's why we're seeing so much activity right now with ad verification and, and really brands, Procter and Gamble, Unilever, they're, they're huge in the space right now, along with, with other major Fortune 500 companies to say, look, we need independent verification, we need ad standards, and we want to be more in control, not only of what we have visibility into, but also how we're buying. And they're also starting to take some ad buying in-house, which is really interesting to see. And so thank you so much for talking through a lot of this because you've answered a lot of my questions. But what I would say is I think I came out of this podcast with about 30 more major questions. So I think we've got many, many more podcasts on this topic. Uh, Thank you. And what I got out of this is it's still not that easy to capture people's attention. So (laughs) (laughs) that that is true. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is sponsored by Uprise Partners. Uprise launches startups and evolves established companies. Check it out at www.uprisepartners.com. Please like, subscribe, and share. And we'd love to hear from you. Give us a shout if you have a great idea that you want us to include. Just email us at hello at datamyths.com. Catch you next time.